Welcome uh, to Genesis. If um, you are a father, you have to stand, but if you're not a dad, go ahead and sit down for a minute if you would. So dads, I don't know if you knew, but uh, today is Father's Day, so thank you to Hallmark for creating a special day for dads. So if you would, as a community, uh, give our dads just a thanks for being dads. And um, Dads, I hope you would agree being a dad is a, is a pretty cool gig, so... Uh, I wanted to pray for us. I'm a father as well, and just wanted to uh, ask that God would bless us as fathers, but uh, also just give us the courage and the grace, uh, not just to be fathers, but, uh, and not even to be good fathers, but to be godly fathers. Uh, and that, we need the Lord to help us with that. So on Father's Day, happy Father's Day to you, and uh, let's just pray for one another. Got to give thanks for these men who uh, are standing today. Uh, God, I just give thanks uh, for the gift of, of being a dad, uh, of being a father. Uh, God, you've entrusted these men, uh, and myself as well, uh, with little ones. Some are very little, and some have, have grown. Um, but God, I just pray for myself and these men that are standing. Uh, our desire, God, is not just to be good dads, and uh, we want to be godly dads, uh, so that our kids one day would make a decision to love you, uh, to walk with you, uh, that they would be, uh, if they were to get married, that they would be godly husbands, not just good husbands, and uh, not just leaders or good leaders, but godly leaders in the places that you call them to. So God, is pleased as a, a good heavenly father that you are, I pray that you would help us, equip us, challenge us, bless us, give us the grace, strength, and courage that we need uh, to be godly men uh, who are godly husbands and godly fathers. Again, Jesus Father God, we give you thanks for the gift of being a dad and just ask that you would bless uh, each of these men that are standing. We love you and we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So man, happy Father's Day. Welcome to Genesis. Everyone just stand back up. We'd like to just take a few minutes to maybe say hello to someone you haven't maybe met before and let them know that uh, you're glad they're here. Fire. 
light. Morning again. Again, uh, welcome. Uh, I think this is on. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Michael. If you're here for the very first time, I'm very glad that uh, you found us on this Father's Day. Uh, and hopefully, you got to meet at least a, a few new people and uh, stick around uh, after church. Uh, actually, I always forget to announce this, so wow, I just thought of it. We throw what we call a very simple but uh, fun 10-minute party uh, where we've got some food and some drinks, and uh, if you're brand new today, uh, we love to give you a gift, and we've got a small little library of a book you can choose uh, that you would like to take. It's just our way for thanks for coming. So uh, again, first time, I'm glad you're here. If you're second time and you came back, that's awesome. So thanks for coming back. Um, we are doing a series uh, in the book of Proverbs uh, right now. This is our third week uh, walking through Proverbs, and this morning uh, we're going to talk about fear. Uh, the story is of three men, and they were all dying, three very different men, uh, but they all had a similar fate in that they were all on the verge of death. I don't know if you've ever been around someone uh, who has died, a friend or a family member, but typically, okay, this is just, not everyone is this way, but in death, if you were typically an angry person in death, typically, generally speaking, uh, that same individual will be very angry and bitter in death. The things that they'll say speak to the angerness that they had in life. Sometimes the people who were very reckless in the way that they lived life, very carefree, didn't really matter the decisions, choices they make. They just didn't really put much thought or purpose and intention into how they lived. Typically, again, generally speaking, reckless people can be very reflective and consider, what have I done and why did I do that? And then there's people who are very purposeful in the way they chose to live life. They lived on mission. They knew what their purpose was and they executed or they lived out their purpose. And in death, they typically, generally speaking, 
die very peacefully because they know that they lived the life that ultimately God called them to live. What's interesting about these three men who shared the same fate, they're all dying. Actually, each of these three men represented either the very angry, bitter, jaded man, uh, the very reckless one who then became very reflective, uh, and a man who was very purposeful and intentional in the way he lived. And it wasn't that he died necessarily without a sense of pain, but he died in a sense of peace and trusting himself uh, into God's hands. And what's interesting is the reflective one actually was looking at the one who was very angry, bitter, and jaded. And he was looking at his behavior in death. And he asks this angry man, this is the reflective man, he asks this angry man a very simple but yet profound question. And it's when you consider where the question is coming from and who the question is coming from, it's a pretty phenomenal question. And the story goes like this. It's in Luke chapter 23. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king, this is the king of the Jews, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Okay, you got the angry one. He's insulting the man who's got a sign right above his head that says this is a king. And by the way, Romans, specifically Pilate, they did not just put sign over anyone's head as a way of just a joke, a fun thing to do. This man was claimed to be the king of the Jews, and so Pilate put a notice above his cross that said this is the king. So you got one angry guy who's hurling insults at Jesus. And then the reflective one, pretty reckless in life, and I know that because he's being executed. He gets very reflective, and he's looking at the angry one, and he, he busts out this question. He says uh, this, um, but the other criminal rebuked him. I wonder, had he ever rebuked anyone in his entire life? But he looks at this man and he rebukes him and says, don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man looked at his actions, his behavior, his attitude, his words, and he's a criminal. Same sentence that this guy got, he's under, but he looks at Jesus and he's confused. This man is at peace in death. He's offering prayers. He's forgiving people. And then this guy, the reflective one, asks the question to the angry one, don't you fear God? Because what you're doing right now clearly does not reflect one who has a care or concern or a sense of fear of who God is. Three men, angry, reflective, and a very peaceful one. And it was the reflective one who asked the question. And it's the question I want to lead us this morning with. Do you fear God? Now, I'm guessing many of us are coming up with different understandings of what that means, that I should be scared of God or, you know, what that looks like. And I'll explain that. But I just want to ask the very basic question. As you consider your life and the reflective one were to ask you the question, what would you say? And the question was stemming from his attitude, his actions, his words. Clearly was not demonstrating one who feared God. So are you a person who fears God? As we study Proverbs, this is a huge theme in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 starts by saying, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fast forward to chapter 31. It ends with this. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, praise her. Beauty, charm, deceptive, fleeting, but you find a woman who fears God, who fears the Lord, praise that woman. Everything between chapter 1 and chapter 31 is about developing a fear of the Lord and ultimately what that looks like. It's safe to say we all have fears. I'm not going to ask you to share what your fears are, uh, but I want you to consider right now, what are the things that you fear? I'm not talking about phobias. So if a snake were to fall on your lap, you wouldn't, I'm not talking about being scared of spiders and snakes and that kind of stuff. What is it that you fear? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to guess that all of us at some level have a sense of we fear people, what they are going to say, what they think about us, that kind of thing. So in your fears, do you fear others? Do you fear people? As I've already said, at some level, we all have fear of man issues. And the Bible actually presents there's two types of fear. You will either be an individual who fears man, or you will be an individual who fears God. I want to first just quickly, hopefully, highlight what it means to be an individual who fears man and why you don't want to be that guy. Number one, of fear of man, we often say, well, I struggle with fear of man, of what people are going to say, how they're going to think about me, they'll think less of me, or whatever it might be. Fear of man is not a struggle any of us have. It's a sin we commit. And why I say it's not just a struggle, it's a sin, is because when I'm more concerned or consumed about what other people are going to think about me, I've now become, I've now placed that person as essentially an idol in my life. I will do things, I will perform, I will act in a way that they would be pleased that they would find me favorable, they would like me, whatever it might be. And Genesis to Revelation says idolatry, just in case you didn't know, is not a good thing. That's a sin. So fear of man is not just a struggle, it's a sin because we make people to be idols and we live to please them rather than living to please God. A second issue is fear of man leads us away from actually trusting God. We get so fearful of what someone might do, what someone might say, that we forget to trust God, and we forget what God has already told us or what God has promised us or declared to us. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah says this, chapter 41, verse 10, and then 13. So do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then skip down to verse 13. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. What a phenomenal, encouraging verse. When I fear man and what man might do to me, say to me, think about me, I'm ultimately not trusting God, that God is with me, God will be with me, God will protect me, God will care for me. The third one, fear of man leads us towards folly. And as I talked about, not all folly is sinful. Sometimes folly is just our own stupidity. 
But there is folly that certainly leads us to sinful behaviors. And if you have the fear of man issue, sin, then it will lead you, lead you towards folly. And I think specifically towards sin. Aaron, he's known as Moses' brother. Moses goes to spend some time with God on the mountain. He's up spending some time praying and worshiping, receiving the Ten Commandments. Moses and God hear a party going on down at the camp. Moses goes down to find out what's going on, and he sees thousands of people literally dancing around this golden calf. And he comes to his brother Aaron, who he had left in charge. Aaron, care for these people. Make sure they do not stray from the Lord. And so he comes to Aaron, trying to understand, Aaron, what happened? Did they tie you up? Did they, like, I mean, did someone put you in chains where you could not prevent these people from doing this? And he says in Exodus 32, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Aaron's response, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and would you know it, out popped this calf. That's how it went down. Moses, you know these people, and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to displease them. I wanted them to think of me favorably as a good leader, and so I did the very thing that they requested. Sometimes our fear of man will lead us towards folly, which will lead us towards sin. More concerned about pleasing the people rather than pleasing God. I think another tragic story in the Old Testament is a man named King Saul. God had set him apart to be king of Israel. And he was growing, he was walking with God, he was faithful in his early days as a leader, but then the people really began to start to praise Saul, that he was the man. And he started believing the press of the people. And when you start really believing the hype that's around you, what people say about you, you don't want to lose that, so you start acting and, and doing things in a way to make sure that people still praise you. That's fear of man. And so Saul was completely disobedient to something God told him clearly to do. And there was a prophet named Samuel who called him out on it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. If you fear people, you will do anything, even if it means folly and or sin, to make sure that people still think of you favorably. So I gave you a couple of, it can be idolatry, it leads us to not trust God and ultimately could just lead us towards folly and sin. I wanted to finish just this fear of man with, it's not only what fear of man causes us not to do, but what fear of man causes us to do. Being a hypocrite, in the Greek language, a hypocrite is, uh, a metaphor is a play actor, someone who would be on stage, they'd hold a mask in front of their face, depending on the part that they would play. When I have fear of man going on in my life, I honestly become a play actor. Okay, You see this with parents and their kids. If you ever see a parent kind of in, huddled in the corner with their kid in a public space, this is 
good chance the conversation that's going on, especially little kids, they're having the conversation of, please do not freak out in public today. Do not do anything silly, stupid. Do not make a ruckus. Do not make a noise. I don't want anyone to think that I'm a bad parent. And if you start acting up, they're going to think I'm going to be, I'm a bad parent. And so parents, and I've done this, okay? I don't want to act like I've never told my kids, would you please, when we're flying today or when we're going to wherever we're going, let's try to behave. Is it because I want my kids to actually learn how to behave or is it driven by, I don't want people to think I'm a terrible parent? I think more the latter. And if you're a parent, you're probably not smiling right now because you're like, yeah, I've done that one. Spouse to spouse, maybe this has actually been your experience. You drive up to church and you're like, okay, put on your smile, put on your happy face, hold my hand because I don't want anyone around us to know how jacked up our marriage actually is. So if you ever see a couple and they have a big cheesy smile on their face and they're just walking around, they might actually be the most jacked up individuals. You don't have to go call them out on it, but the conversation has take, takes place between spouses. I don't want anyone to know what's really happening in our home, what's really happening in our marriage. Now, if you're married, you're, again, probably not laughing at that one because you realize that's true. And I certainly have done that myself. Friend to friend, okay? Parent to child, spouse to spouse, friend to friend. I, I don't want anyone to ask me any meaningful or purposeful question because I'm afraid they might ask me that question in return. So I will choose to settle for not asking any questions outside of what you're watching on TV, what you think of the game last night, or let's just talk about someone else. Because I'm afraid that if you ask me something, I will either have to lie to you or I'll actually have to confess to you where I'm really at, what I'm really doing. The fear of man leads us to do ridiculous things, folly, and as I mentioned earlier, towards sin. Bottom line, fear of man. There's two fears in the Bible. You either will fear man or you will fear God. My contention, and I think this is clearly taught in Scripture, is that the fear of man will produce nothing good in your life. I'm not talking about not respecting people, not loving people, but I'm talking about being so fearful where you live in such a way to please them rather than pleasing God. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Isn't that a great verse? Fear of man, it will be a snare in your life. I mean, it will hinder you from growing in your relationship with God and your relationship with people around you. I really want to challenge you if fear of man is a reality for you today. Wisdom says is seen in the choices, decisions we make. Make the decision today to say, I'm done. I'm repenting. I'm done with being so fearful of man. I love how Proverbs clearly teaches, this is Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want wisdom, you have to have fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord comes before wisdom. If you don't have it, you won't have wisdom. Wisdom is seen in the godly decisions that we make. If you don't have fear of the Lord, fear of God, you will not make godly decisions. Therefore, you will not have wisdom. Let me pause for a minute and say it is really hot in here. 
I apologize. I don't know if anyone is sweating as profusely as me. We have three air conditioning units in here. Two of them are working. And the one that happens to take care of this room is the busted one. So I apologize if it's really hot. We actually tried fixing it. It's not working right now. So uh, be gracious. And um, I just wanted to acknowledge that it is crazy, crazy hot in here. Fear of the Lord, if you want wisdom, you have to clearly understand what it means to fear the Lord. So let me ask the question, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to say, I am one who fears God? Sometimes it's helpful to to define what it is not before you actually explain what it is. When I grew up, I was scared to death of the telephone. I would say from about the age of seven, eight years old to about 18 years old, the better part of 10 years, I was fearful of the telephone, not actually of the device itself. Okay, I didn't see the phone and I didn't have a, a phone phobia. But what I was fearful of is who would call. And why I was fearful of the phone is because I was a terrible, awful student. And I don't mean just academically. But because I was so insecure in who I was as a young man growing up, I was the jokester, the class clown. I would talk back to the teacher. I would do anything and everything to be the one who would get the laugh from the teacher, thinking that people would think I'm cool. Oh, that Davis, he's what a cool cool guy he is. He knows how to talk back to the teacher, and he's good at collecting detentions and all that kind of stuff. Why I was fearful of the phone is because teachers realized real quickly, real quickly, that you couldn't send a note home because I'd either forge it or find a way not to, I'd make sure my parents wouldn't get the note. And so they started calling. And so every time I heard the phone ring, I would be so fearful of who was calling to report on my, my behavior. No joke. 10 years of my life, the phone would ring, my heart would start pounding. It's like the kind of heart pounding when you drive by a cop. You don't know if you're doing something wrong, but you just saw a cop and you start freaking out. (laughs) Fear of God is not being afraid of God. If you ever read the uh, C.S. Lewis's books, uh, the children's stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there was a movie a couple years ago uh, about the book. There was a little girl in the book called Lucy. And there's this main character. His name is Aslan. He is the Jesus figure, the God figure of the story. And Lucy is on the verge of meeting this lion. And she asks Mr. Beaver, who was a friend, this question. Is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I think some of us have a fear of God that leads us to be afraid of God. When I would hear the phone ring, I would run, I would hide, my heart would start pounding. Some of our fear of God leads us to be afraid of him, so even the mention of God, the mention of church, the the mention of Christianity, we start bailing, we start running, we start hiding because we're so afraid of God. That's not fear of God. I like how Moses uh, describes and talks about this in Exodus 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. 
And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. I don't want to get too close to God. I don't want to hear God. You be kind of our go-between. Because if we see God, hear from God, we'll die. They had this fear that was driven by, I'm afraid of God. And this is what is said in verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. God does not want us to be afraid of him where we run from him. God wants our fear of him to actually lead to a relationship with him, not where we have distance from him. What a great verse in verse 20. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Simply put, here's my definition of sin. When I say my, it's the Bible's definition of sin. The fear of the Lord means that we absolutely cannot stand, we detest, we hate sin. That's what it means to fear the Lord. There's certainly in Scripture, um, Scripture teaches that fear is also that we have a sense of awe, a sense of reverence of who God is. On Friday, I took uh, Kyle and the kids to go see Toy Story, and it was a big treat because we got to go see it on the IMAX. If you've never been to the IMAX theater, it's insane. This thing is, I don't know how tall, but it's tall. Um, like 40, 50, 60, 70 feet, something like that. I had been to the IMAX before, and it's pretty cool. But my kids, who are three, five, and six, and not much taller than this, they walked into this theater, and I, I prepped them. This is the biggest thing you'll ever seen in your entire life. Is it as big as God? Okay, well, not that big, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty big. And it was awesome watching their faces as they walked in. They just, their mouths were open, and they were just looking at this massive screen and these lights and the sound that just makes your body shake. And they just had this sense of awe and wonder of this is incredible. We should have that towards God. Mouth wide open, a sense of awe and amazement of who God is. So that is certainly an aspect of what it means to fear the Lord. But more times than not, when the Bible talks about both old and new, fearing the Lord, it's specifically talking about our attitude towards sin. Proverbs says this in uh, chapter 8, verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then I want you to catch the four things that are listed in Proverbs of what it means to hate evil. I hate pride, arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Pride, arrogance, sinful behavior, and perverse speech. To fear the Lord is to hate these things, these sinful things. Proverbs 14.2 says it this way. He whose walk is upright fears the Lord. Meaning if you see a man or a woman whose walk is, they're not walking the path of sin, but they're walking the path of righteousness, that is a man or a woman who fears the Lord because of their walk. They're choosing righteousness. They're choosing to live upright before God. He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious, meaning sinful or evil, despises him. 
Meaning, if we live our lives where we don't really care about anyone or anything, we just do our own thing, we're communicating to God, I don't fear you because I don't recognize you as a voice or an authority in my life. I'll just do my own thing. Fear of the Lord means that we hate, we don't put up with, we don't tolerate, we don't mess with, we don't dabble in sin. If you are, you do not fear the Lord. But if you do, you are a person who fears the Lord. And if you do fear the Lord, then you're on your way to wisdom. Does that make sense? I cannot have wisdom unless I fear the Lord. Wisdom is seen in my actions and decisions I make. If I'm making decisions clearly to keep walking in sin and do my thing my own way when I want, I clearly do not fear the Lord. Job, great guy in scripture, great nephew as well but a great guy in scripture. And this is what the Bible says of Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. What a great testimony about your life. Blameless and upright. He feared God. Why? Because he shunned evil. Sin was not a path that he decided to walk. And then in verse eight, it says this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Abraham was tested by the Lord. And this was an incredible test when God said, I want you to sacrifice your only son, the son that you and your wife gave birth to in your old age, age 100 and age 90. And in unfathomable request, And this is what God says of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The way that Abraham knew that he feared God is because he was incredibly obedient. He did not sin. What God called him to do, he did. And God said, now I know that you fear me because you did not withhold from me your son. You were obedient. This is just two examples, but they're pretty powerful examples of of Job and then Abraham, men who knowingly and willfully said, I am not walking the path of sin. Why? Because they feared the Lord. Bible makes pretty clear that fear of the Lord is really a gift of God uh, to you. Okay, so I can't walk out of here and be like, all right, I'll get it. I'll figure this out. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of do it. If you want to be a person who fears the Lord, you have to ask God to implant deep within your heart a fear of him, meaning you hate sin. I love how Jeremiah says it. I will give them singleness of heart. This is God speaking. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always Fear me for their own good and the good of the children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. What an amazing thing that God says, I will give them fear of the Lord. I will inspire them to fear the Lord, that it would go good for them and good for their children after them. 
I love this passage. I am bent on doing good to my people, to give them, to inspire them to fear me so that they would not walk in a path that leads away from me. Psalm 86, David says it like this, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. God, I can't do this on my own, so will you give to me what I long for, a heart that is not divided, divided towards sin, divided towards you, divided towards this. Unify my heart that my heart might fear you. So fear of the Lord is, it starts with God. You might just really honestly need to pray today, God, would you plant deep within my heart a desire to fear you? That's the starting point of the fear of the Lord. Well, the question I want to move on to, God gives that to you. It's just a question of whether you will receive it. If you do receive it, and I hope you do, how do you cultivate a lifestyle where you grow in the fear of the Lord? How do you develop lifestyle habits or cultivate a a life that is reflective of a man or a woman who fears the Lord? And the first one is this. Fear of the Lord is understood in God's word. I don't know what you think of the Bible, but what we often think of the Bible is shown in what we do with our Bible. So I'll just ask you the question, what do you do with your Bible? Is this something that you really love, that you cherish, that as you consider, I'm not talking about worshiping my Bible. I'm talking about cherishing it. I care about it. I spend time with it. I'm seeking to understand it. I want to know it. I want to apply it. I will not be able to cultivate a lifestyle of the fear of the Lord, hating sin, without Scripture. And this is what Proverbs Proverbs chapter 2 says. My son, and I want you to listen to the adjectives here of what we're talking about uh, of Scripture. If you, or verbs actually, if you accept my words, if you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, accept, store up, turn your ear towards, and apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I will cultivate a life of fearing the Lord when I accept, turn towards, apply, pursue God's word. I'll go back to the question. What is God's word to you? I honestly think that for a lot of us, it's a book that makes us just feel really guilty because we're not reading it enough. We keep it somewhere where it's visible, and then once in a while, we're like, ah, dang, I haven't read my Bible in like a week. I should pick that up. And it's driven by a sense of guilt rather than driven by a passion and a love that cherishes what God has to say. I can't imagine how Kyla, my wife, would respond if every couple weeks I'm called as her husband to cherish her, to love her. If every you know, couple months I'd be like, ah, I haven't talked to her in a couple months. I guess I'll, Kyla, let's get together. What do you, 
Anything you want to tell me? I'm guessing that marriage would not be a healthy marriage. And I think most of us are not cultivating a life of fearing the Lord because we approach God's, God's word like that. I love how it says, accept, store up, turn towards, apply, and pursue God's word. If you do that, you are the beginning and cultivating a lifestyle of fearing the Lord. So you need God's word to do it, Proverbs 2 teaches. But then I want to ask another question. Have you ever said to yourself, I promise I will never do that again. I will never say that again. I will never respond or react like that again. I will never look at that again. I swear, God, on your name, I will never do X again. Only for 24 hours go by and you're like, I can't believe I did it again. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I looked at that again. If you will develop a, cultivate a lifestyle of fearing the Lord, you really need to depend on God, on Jesus to do that. We have responsibility in making choices that I want to fear the Lord and I do not want to choose sin. But I am one who is responsible but absolutely dependent on God to help me do these things. Go back to the question I just asked. How many of us have ever done that? I'm not going to do it again. Only a week later, two weeks later, a day later, you're doing the same thing again and again. Why? Because you're trying to do it yourself. You're depending on yourself. A, a cultivated lifestyle of fearing the Lord is one that is absolutely dependent on God's word and absolutely dependent on God to do it in you. The Apostle Paul, New Testament, wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. He says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I'm guessing that all of us could say, I've been there, I've felt like that, I'm there right now. Every time I try to do the right thing, I keep messing up. I keep choosing sin, keep choosing an ungodly choice. Paul then comes back and asks a question, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus. If you will cultivate a life of fearing the Lord, God's word has to be central, foundational to who you are. And then you have to own up to your own responsibility to choose the path, but then be very dependent on God to give you the courage and the grace to walk that road. Jesus said himself in John 15, apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't want to live my life trying to prove that Jesus is wrong. I'd rather accept that he's right and I can't do anything apart from Jesus. Proverbs. I love that it instructs us in the ways of the fear of the Lord, but it gives us the consequences. If you don't choose a life of fearing the Lord, it lets you know what the consequences are. And conversely, if you do choose the fear of the Lord, it lets you know what the benefits are. Here's the, the consequence of not fearing God. And I want you to hear this because 
If you choose just to live life not fearing the Lord, there's a consequence for that decision or choice. Proverbs 1, verse 28. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice, and they spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. That's another way of saying, you will reap what you sow. If you sow seeds of just sinful decisions and choices, the fruit of that is the very thing that you will eat. And no matter how you try to sweeten it up, no matter what ingredients you try to make it taste a little bit better, that fruit will never taste good. The New Testament teaches this exact same principle in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I think that is a profoundly, hopefully life-altering verse. God will not be mocked. Why? Because he's God. He's not man. I cannot live my life acting as if God doesn't care, as if God doesn't exist, and as if my choices and decisions will not have consequences. They do. Some of you might be saying, well, I can't see my consequences. And you're right. Sometimes consequences are immediate. You feel them, you know them, you live them. But sometimes there are consequences that you don't see for a week, a month, or two months. And then you start believing in your head. See, there aren't any consequences for these decisions. I want you to memorize the Galatians 6 passage. Do not be deceived. God cannot and will not be mocked. There are clear consequences for choosing not to fear God, choosing not to fear the Lord. And keep in mind, not be afraid of God, but fear of the Lord is to hate sin. This is the benefit. If the consequences are we will reap what we sow, and what we sow of not fearing the Lord is not good. It's devastating. It's destructive. This is the benefit, the beauty of living a life where I fear the Lord. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning man from the snares of death. You have to understand this is poetic in nature. You have to picture this idea of the fountain of life. Picture a fountain. It's nourishing. It's refreshing. It's flourishing. This is good for you. You will be blessed if you choose the path of fearing the Lord. What a great verse. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. How about Proverbs 16? Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. If I choose to fear God, meaning to hate sin, I am absolutely avoiding everything evil, which means I'm also avoiding the consequences of evil. What I love about this specific proverb is that it's the gospel. Did you catch? Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Jesus came to rescue and redeem and restore us to right relationship with God. He loved us. That's why he came. He was faithful to his mission, meaning he did not choose the path of sin. He remained his course, which was to fear the Lord. And because of that, 
I'm made right with God, and then Jesus teaches me how to live rightly with God. I was thinking about this question, and I'm glad Scripture has an answer for it, but did Jesus fear the Lord? I want you to think about that. Did Jesus, God's Son, God in flesh, did Jesus fear the Lord? If fearing the Lord is hating sin, you would have to come to the conclusion, yeah, he hated sin, he didn't do it. And this is what Isaiah, this is what's known as a messianic prophecy about Jesus says. This is Isaiah chapter 11. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding and the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus absolutely not only feared the Lord, hated sin, he delighted in it, meaning he delighted in everything that was good, everything that was righteous, everything that was holy. If he didn't, we would be lost in our own sin. If you have a Bible and a pen, mark down Proverbs 16.6. It's such a clear picture of the gospel in the book of Proverbs of what Jesus has done. I want to just, I guess, wrap up and finish with more of a warning it's easy to hear a message that says, okay, hate sin. And then you kick into this mode of sin management, where your life actually becomes more about just, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do this. Therefore, I'm okay. And rather than develop and cultivate a relationship, you actually are just coming up with a spreadsheet. There's a big difference of sin management, which, what, which is not what I'm talking about, and choosing to fear the Lord. One is driven by just, I won't do this and I won't do that, therefore I'm okay. And the other is driven by, I see who God is. I see what God has done. And in response to who God is, I will live for him. Living for him means I live in righteousness. I pursue purity. I pursue holiness. So don't jump into sin management. And then a, a second thing is, guard your heart against the false pleasures of sin, specifically the sin of others. This is what Proverbs says. Do not, verse 23, chapter 23, verse 17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Don't look at someone else who's not in relationship with God and seems to be living so carefreely and envy them. They have it so good. They just do whatever they want. You see what's only on the surface, but what you don't see is the emptiness and the vanity of it all. So rather than be envious of those who live a life that could really care less about God, Solomon says, be zealous. And by the way, if you're confused as to what zealous means, it's passion in action. Be passionate actively passionate for fearing the Lord. Be zealous for fearing the Lord. If sin tasted so good, meaning the things that we sometimes envy, if it tasted and it was so good, just at addicts, if you've ever met someone who has a drug addiction, a sex addiction, a, porno, a pornography addiction, alcohol, just ask yourself a very simple question. 
Why do they keep going back? And it might be you. So why do you keep going back? If it was so good, if it was so awesome, why does it create in you an addiction? The addiction is, and I'm not trying to get in terms of chemicals in our body and all of that kind of stuff. We go back to those things, whether it's pornography or sex or alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. Why? Because it leaves us empty. It leaves us absolutely empty. So I go back to get a quick fix to cover my emptiness. And I keep going back and I keep going back trying to get quick fixes. At some point, you realize, you know what? Why am I envying someone? Or why am I doing this myself? Why am I envying this cycle of I just keep going back and going back because I'm so empty? The fear of the Lord, it leads to a fountain of life, not emptiness, not shame and guilt and all of those things. It leads to a fountain of life. If you are a person who fears God, fears the Lord, absolutely hates sin, are you guaranteed to keep faithfully walking with God? That's the question I'm going to finish with. Solomon was known as the wisest man on the planet. God granted him wisdom that had never, ever been seen before. He had wisdom. He had fear of God. But I want to ask the question, is this just a one-off decision that you make and you're good to go the rest of your life? Is it possible to be the wisest man on the planet and fail in God's eyes miserably? And I want you to catch this because the answer is a tragic yes. You can be, have great wisdom, but if your wisdom is not married to, meaning close relationship to, obedience, fear of the Lord, you'll walk away from God. 1 Kings chapter 10 says this of Solomon. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. God was so generous to Solomon. God gave Solomon just abundance of blessing, wealth, honor, fame, renown. And he blessed this man, put wisdom in his heart. But somewhere along the line, Solomon started making decisions that were no, no longer reflective of wisdom and they did not reflect the fear of the Lord. This is, I hope as I, I'm actually going to read this, um, I'll take the time to do it, and I hope as you hear this, you don't laugh or snicker like, wow, that's pretty phenomenal, but I hope your heart actually breaks. I don't mean that poorly on you, but this is tragedy what Solomon did. And specifically, if you're a dad, I want you to hear the sad story of Solomon and know that the sin of Solomon's father, uh, Solomon's father, King David, became a snare to him. The sin that David had committed became the very sin that Solomon began to live out. As a father, and if you're a father here, do not let your sin 
become your son's folly. If you are a father, know that if you are living in sin, walking in sin, embracing sin, that very sin will become a snare to your son or to your daughter. I take this and I hope you as dads would take it very seriously. King David did committed adultery, slept with Bathsheba, killed her husband. The same sins of the father was repeated by the son. If you're a son and you had a father who was just made it his job to just sin and you've grown up now and your dad has continued in his ways, let it stop with you. Do not let the sins of your father become your folly, become a snare to you growing and maturing into the man or to the woman that God wants you to be. This is Solomon. King Solomon, however, this is fresh on the heels of God's great wisdom he gave to Solomon. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Sidonians, I can't speak, Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. God said, do not marry these foreign women. I've given you one wife. Stick with her. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. 700 wives and 300 girlfriends. Somewhere along the way, he made 999 decisions to not fear the Lord. I guarantee the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth maybe was pretty difficult. He felt that conviction of, you know, I'm not sure if I should do this. I shouldn't do this, but it makes sense. So I guess I'll take on another wife. Somewhere along the 7th, 8th, 10th, 20th, 100th, 200th, he kept making decisions where his heart was getting harder and harder and harder towards God, where he just didn't care. 700 decisions were made, actually 699 decisions were made to take on other women that were not his wife. And on top of that, 300 girlfriends. The sin of the father became the folly and the sin of the son. Solomon divorced his wisdom from fear of the Lord. And anytime you divorce fear of the Lord and wisdom, you will walk away from God. I guarantee it. I promise you, if you do not keep these married together, fear of the Lord, hating sin, and wisdom, they cannot exist without one another. You will walk away from the Lord. There's lots of debate over what happened to Solomon. Did he ever come back to the Lord? I believe that as he was in his old age, he wrote a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And I do believe that it was Solomon's looking back as an old man, looking back over his life, seeing the folly and the meaninglessness of it all. 
And I do believe in a repentant state, a repentant letter. This is the last thing we have from Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He says this, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the entire duty of man. To hate that which would separate you from God. If you're here right now and you are making decisions and you're getting further and further and further away from the Lord and you know that because your heart is actually getting hardened, where it's just actually getting easier to make these decisions. It only takes one decision to return. He made 999 horrific, sinful, ungodly, unrighteous decisions. It just takes one decision to say, I'm done. I will repent and return to the fear of the Lord. That's it. If you're walking that path right now and your heart is actually getting hardened or it's already completely hardened, return today. When we pray and when we worship and we take communion, make it your prayer that says, God, I've walked away, I've strayed, I have not feared the Lord as reflected in the decisions, choices I've made. Return. And for us as a community, as a church, it was said in uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 30, verse 31, that the early church, they were growing in numbers. That the early church, there were so many people who were beginning to confess Jesus as God. And then you know what it says, I think, in verse 31? It says they were growing in numbers and they were growing in the fear of the Lord. I want that for us. I want us as a church to see people confess Jesus as God. And then I want us as a church to walk in the reflection that we know who we confess. Jesus is our God and we're growing in fearing the Lord, not being afraid of him, but Fear of the Lord is reflected in our decisions is for purity, is for righteousness, is for holiness, is for godliness, not doing my own thing, not where I'm the center of my life. The early church grew in confessions of faith, and they grew in the fear of the Lord. As we pray, as we worship, if you're walking away, come home today just takes one decision. You don't need 10, you just need one. A repentant heart that returns to God saying, give me fear of you, that I would know you and walk in your ways. And if you've already there, ask God, bless our church that we'd see people confess Jesus is God and bless us as a community that we would grow together in the fear of the Lord. So Father God, please, You are the giver of wisdom, and you also give us a heart that would be undivided and a heart that would fear you. So God, I do pray for us as a community, all of us, that we would see people confess Jesus as God, and that we would grow together in fearing you, in absolutely hating sin 
pride and arrogance, evil behavior, speech. God, please penetrate the heart of this community that we would encourage and spur one another on to fear you, that we would help one another. And God, I do pray that if there is anyone here, whether it's one or many, who's actually walking the road away from you as reflected in just decisions being made right now, God, please grant repentance. Open their heart, flood it with your love and your grace to make one decision to return. 